I mean, this is going to make E.T. look like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm saying? This is going to be the kind of thing that you're going to, your, your children are going to say, Dad, I can look up to you now, and I never could before. Isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? God, I mean, we made a lot of cheap movies for you guys. It made a lot of money, but now we kind of spend a little more than we're supposed to. Columbia Pictures has spared no expense to make this oh. a fine science fiction comedy what spectacle. What a bunch of good sports they are. And it is PG. Oh, I'm fucking telling you, it's PG. Welcome to the new season of Aetisography. Lots of uh, goodies await. So we've got lots of interviews recorded. I've got about 20 hours of audio to edit. Hmm. Um, I chose this particular one to start the season with for a number of reasons. Firstly, because this is a new feature, Anatomy of a Song, where you take one song and just explore it. Not so much technically, but just creatively and then and, and its impact on, on the person's secondly because of our new Ghostbusters the film that we'll be getting to tie in with uh, and thirdly because of the, our guest Martin Page and he was a great interview great guy just exudes enthusiasm and energy <laughs> unlike me <laughs> uh, so I, I'm going to get three episodes out of him I'll, I'll do a mind hisography with him and there'll also be another anatomy of a song, but I got, but I got to start with Ghostbusters. It's a seminal song, one of those iconic ages songs. My favourite, one of my favourite ages songs. And Martin is is primarily known as a songwriter. Got a couple of massive hits with Bernie Taupin. He built the city, Starship, These Dreams, Heart, and many other songs with Robbie Robertson. Robbie Williams, Tommy Jones, Barbara Streisand, Earth, Wind and Fire, the list goes on. But on this he played keyboards, but so I want to explore that, exactly what he did with the song. And how it came about. It's a really good chat. So here it is. This is the start of the interview. So um, what was the initial contact? What was the first word you had about this project? Well, we, uh, Brian and I had only been in Los Angeles for about two weeks. We were here as songwriters touting our demos. We'd been thrown into Diane Poncher's house, the manager uh, who worked with Ray Parker. And we were playing her the demos and she just said, you know, not only do I want uh, Maurice White of Earth, Wind & Fire to meet you two guys, I think you should meet Ray Parker. And we said, that would be brilliant because we love Ray Parker. I loved radio, Jack and Jill and all those songs. I loved them. Now, why do you And I, I knew that Ray Parker was, a, you know, one of those great guitarists, session guitarists that played with Stevie Wonder, etc. And we were a bit overawed, you know, and she said, well, look, he's got a studio in the valley, San Fernando Valley, called America, American Studios. And uh, she said, go and see him. He said, he, you know, he's just go and go to the studio. I've told him you're going to pop in. 
and go. Now, <laughs> me and Brian, we never went without our, our equipment ever. And we didn't have a car, but we hired this thing called Pyrorec in, in America at that time, in the 80s. You could just go to this place for very not much money. You could hire a wreck of a car that just about drove, and you could hire it for a week. And we all we cared about was that the radio worked on it. So we picked <laughs> up the best hire a wreck that had a good radio. And we drove into the valley down Lancashire Avenue to, and we found Ray Parker's studio. Knocked on the door and right there was Ray Parker. And he was such a laid back, easygoing, warm guy. And of course, we're going, hey, man, we're real fans of you, you know, Diane. And he said, yeah, Diane told me about you guys, you know, and you're the guys that got Dancing in Heaven on the radio. I like that. And I said, yeah, that's us. And uh, we just really got on with him again. He was just, you can, Ray is the most laid back, easygoing guy you could ever meet. And here's these two English guys that are just uptight, joking all the time and very excitable. And he's, he was sort of fascinated by us. You know, I said, Brian plays guitars, keyboards and sings. I play bass, keyboards, guitar, and sing. We do all that stuff. And he was fascinated. And uh, he took us into his studio. He had an engineer there. And he played us some of his radio tracks that he was working on. And we thought, well, this would have never happened in London. You know, it can only happen in America where everything is so open and easy going. And uh, he's fascinated by our humor. He's laughing. And we're still friends now. I was at Ray's house about uh, three months ago. He just played on a track of mine. And... Uh, we're sat there and uh, he, he said, play me some of your songs. So we get our bag open and we play him a couple of cassettes. He said, I really like some of this stuff. And we're going, really? You like it, Ray? He goes, yeah. And he said, uh, I'm going to reform radio, the band. And we said, well, that's amazing. And he goes, I want you to write with Carmichael, the lead singer of radio. And we're going to make another radio record. And we were like, oh, this is unbelievable. We've only been in, a, in LA for two weeks. This is fantastic. And um, all of a sudden he said, um, so this new technology that's going on, tell me about it. So we had a long conversation with him about Synclavias, Fairlights. And he said, come into my office. And we went to his office and he played Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes. He said, that sounds great to me. And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's Trevor Hornwood. Yes, it's and, and, we, and he said, how did they get those sounds so we, and the samples? And we started talking to him about that. And he said, I'm really into this kind of new um, 80s sound. And we have to remember Ray, you know, as a even though he's a soul uh, artist, his records, you know, with radio were very white oriented pop R&B. He had a real understanding of white pop because Jack and Jill, they're just great white pop songs. Anyway, he said, um, I want to play you something. So he took us back into the studio and he played the first raw version of Ghostbusters. We didn't had no title. We didn't know what it was. All we heard was the bass line and the drums. And uh, and then there was um, every now and again, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! Oh, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! What the hell is that? We didn't even know if we liked it. We thought, what is that? You know, what was there lyrics on? with it or was it just who you gonna call? No, he hadn't, sung, he hadn't sung on it at all. He no. hadn't sung on it at all. Just a boom, 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 boom. Yeah, the, the bass. And then, you know, who are you gonna call? And, we, and I, we didn't really like it. We were like, oh. We really want to play on something. <laughs> you know, we, we, we were, we, what do we say? And he goes, I want you guys to play on this. He said, because your sound of cue feel and your weirdness and your strangeness. He said, I just want you to add to this. And he said, it's a film song I'm doing and it's called Ghostbusters. And we said, oh, okay. And we weren't really enthused because we thought he's just throwing us on something, which is a throwaway, you know? Yeah. Anyway, he goes, which one of you plays guitar? I said, Brian does. He goes, have you got your guitar? And Brian says, yeah, it's in the car. So he goes, I want you to play guitar. And he said, you're the keyboardist. I said, yeah, because he's got a keyboard. I said, well, I've got in my car, and this is very good for everybody now, a Casio 101, one of the first synthesizers I've ever bought. I'd even get a power supply for it in America, and I brought it across. It's really cheap. It's what I wrote Secret Heart on for Type Fit. It was my first synthesizer. And I said, I've got that in the back of the car. He goes, well, bring them in. And I'm going to leave you guys alone with it. And he said, and do what you want to do. But I must say to you, he did take us into this, into his office again. And he played us, I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis. And when he went, you hear that? How rocky it is. And now, Brian, can you give me a bit of that on the guitar? He said, but also, Martin, I want you to be weird with your keyboards because this is about Ghostbusters. And we didn't know what the F Ghostbusters meant. We had no idea what it meant. We had, you know, to us, it sounded stupid, but we were, we, we were with Ray Parker. And so we said, okay. And he goes, look, I'm going to go away for lunch. <laughs> I'm going to leave you two. I trust you. 
do what you want to do on this track. And there was a bass line and there was a drum machine and a little teeny bit of keyboards from Ray. Like, I think he had a Korg keyboard in, this, in, in, in there. And this chant, you know, Ghostbusters. So um, Brian and got his guitar out and he started to play the guitar riff. Because it's a normal, you know, like an eight-bar uh, groove. It's a rock song. You know, if you look back on it and you look at pop music by M, it's the same formula. And if you look at I Want a New Drug, it's the same formula. It's a formula that's been used for these kind of songs forever. Yet, yet what Ray had programmed was a Lynn drum machine. It was a really great tempo. And uh, so we started to play with the track. And Brian's doing his, ah, ah, you know, ah, ah, with his guitars. And I'm starting to fiddle around with my little Casio. We realized what key it was in and where it was at. And the engineer was American. So he didn't want to do what we, we he was very suspicious. It was just me and Brian with this engineer that had been with Ray for many years. And he looked at us a little bit like, who are these English guys coming in to muck all this up? You know, I, I usually just work with Ray because Ray just sits at the studio in the, in, at the, at the desk and he sings sat down and he does all the parts he does everything himself and yet he said he's going for lunch and that we had to do it as much as we could on the track well we said to the to the american engineer we print reverbs we affect everything we record and he was like no 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 you don't know what you'll want to do when you mix it at the end and we said no this is our way we print reverbs when we get effects and we had to really convince him, particularly with my keyboards, to make my little Casio have echo on it and reverb. And I said, trust us, print it. No, 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 Americans don't print reverb because when it comes to the mix days, you might not want them. And we're saying, you will. What do you mean by we print reverbs? Well, you know, there's effects reverb. units in the in the studio like that make echoes and reverbs and they're, they're echoes. They're, they, they re that you can add them to your sound. They're in there to make ambience and room sounds. Well, we because we only had a guitar and this little keyboard said to maximize the effects of our instruments. We want you to use these effects in the studio and use the reverbs, the echoes, the ambience and print it onto tape. That's our sound. Well, we eventually won him over. He I don't think he's ever done it before. And he said, Oh, this is quite interesting. I'm quite enjoying this. And then he eventually loosened up and enjoyed our humor because we joked a lot. I think he had some porno magazines he kept on showing us. And we thought, oh, that's great, mate. Yeah, terrific. And, he, and, and I think he loosened up and he said, well, we like her. We like her too. And all of a sudden we were bonding. We were bonding. And so we filled the tracks up. I did all the, you know, a lot, a lot of little keyboard parts. And, and Brian did most of the rock guitar. And that's how it started. And we didn't think much of it at all. Ray came in after his long lunch, which is about three hours. And he said, I love what you guys have done. And I'm really, I'm really pleased with this. It's really good. He said, but would you go in and sing with us Ghostbusters? <laughs> said, okay. So we went in and, he, and we were going Ghostbusters with them, with this, these kids that were on there already. But we thought it was, a, to be honest with you, a pile of crap. We thought this is just <laughs> a, a, a four, four chord track you know it's nothing it's not funky it's nothing you know we've made friends with ray and what we were thinking about mark is that ray wanted us to work with radio we thought he's going to call us back before he left he said martin can you give me some even more weird keyboards noises and sounds and bends and like ghosts and i thought well okay and on a separate bit of tape and they used that what i did in the ghostbusters film when Sigourney Weaver is being, uh, she's lying in bed and the ghost has come out of the top of, uh, top of her to be like a, a, se a sex attack, uh, a, a, a uh, ghost sex attack. That, all the sounds on the, in the movie there is me. Ah, so he okay. knew he knew what he was going to do. But all the little wee -wee 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 you hear on the end in the middle eight and all that, that's, that's him telling me, go for it, bend the notes, play with them, affect them, do go into a, you know, a, a strange place. On Wikipedia, that gives you the personnel for the song, and it says it's Ray Parker Jr. vocals guitar, Louis Johnson on bass, Greg Fillingaines. Is that how you pronounce it? And they were Gaines, keyboards, yeah. yeah, keyboards, and Carlos Vega on drums. Now, is there real drums and bass on this song? Because it sounds like it's... no, I, I don't believe so. I think that's all no. a mistake. Yeah, Did I, Greg, no, it's, play it's... any of the keyboard parts at all, or was it all you? 
No, no. Ray played keyboard parts. Uh, Ray played some keyboard parts. It's it's Ray, Ray and me. Ray added, added Ray added some of his keyboard parts after me. Right. I don't think I don't think Greg Greg, Greg Fillingaines played on it. I don't. There's definitely I don't hear live drums. And yeah. when we were there, it was a Lind drum program. And when I was with Ray Parker recently, we were talking about it. And he said, "Hey, man, I did that. In, we did that in three hours. That was just you, me, and them. And then every time Ray's in, when Ray is interviewed, they talk. He talks about us. Like, oh, those kids were great. I left them to it, and they did their thing. Right. But um, he may have had Greg Fillingaines come in. But I, it's not. I don't hear Louis Johnson on there. Louis one of my favorite bass players of all time. The Brothers Johnson. I don't hear that. I hear the synth bass. I think they've got it wrong. That's what I thought. Mind you, I can tell you what I played on it." Yeah, go for it then. As you know, Brian, Brian played rock guitar, uh, all those Huey Lewis bits. Um, I played the rushes. They go into the choruses. I played those and we printed that with reverbs and echoes. Right at the beginning, the do 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 I'm playing that while Ray plays a descending line. Um, after the choruses, there's a descending string line, a synth line, after the choruses. And I played that, and we printed that with Echo. Uh, the first break that happens, all the eerie noises you hear, that's me on my Casio. And there's a little melody that goes after uh, the first break, like a soft cell notes, and that's me playing those. When it goes into the middle eight, eight breakdown, there's a noise that goes dang, dang, and that's me again on the Casio doing that rhythm. On the fade of the song, the strings, again, the descending strings, I played that melody. And... Um, Right on the end, there's a low bass note, a low synth note that just is a root note. I played that and we printed that with lots of effects, chorus effects. And right on the end, everything that you hear that is sounding scary and weird is me just with the Casio. It's a, a Lindrum program, drum machine, with Simmons drums played on the top of it, fills. And we suggested that to Ray, which he did, because we really believed that uh, the Simmons drums, the electric drums, would be the, um, the sound that he would, would help that. So I think that that's probably best I could talk you through it but the, the the basic riff then the da, 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 that bit was played by ray initially that's right yeah and ray ray constructed the bass line as well yeah he did the bass line i believe on a on a chord the, the actual bass line but the da, 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 yeah that's going to be right yeah and everything else like kind of around that was you yeah all the little things all the little things all the little melodies string lines that come down after the choruses all the creepy things, all the effects that you, you hear a lot of eh, into the choruses and into intersections. That was me with the engineer playing rushes into and all the all the keyboard noises that are bending. That's me bending the notes on the Casio. You can bend the notes, you can modulate them, just playing with it as we went. But Ray's parts are really the bass line. And, uh, and, and some of the stabs on the choruses uh, 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 that were very prominent. All the little arrangement things, individual things, all around the edges would have been me. And Brian's playing most of the rock guitar, the, the kind of uh, Huey Lewis stabs. He's doing that. And Ray is doubling him a little bit and doing a few little lead lines. When you listen to the song and you hear the Ghostbusters, can you hear your voice singing it? 
<laughs> no, because he put his girlfriend, who was a very young girl, up loud on top of it. Uh, okay. uh, <laughs> That's the female. Uh, yeah, she had to be on. She had to be louder than us. We were okay. just a, we, we were in the back of the room, and he would be pointing at us and go, "Here it comes." Now and we just go, Ghostbusters! And we thought, this is so bad, you know. We He hadn't done his lead vocal or written the words, and he had to finish it, like, in the, the same night. We drove away after doing all those parts, not really knowing what it was. And then when we were, arrived back at Diane's house, who managed him and worked with him, we said, it was great to meet Ray, but we played on a god-awful song. You know, it was a shame. We wanted to play on one of, you know, one of his soul songs, but we might work with him with radio. And um, we were a little bit, bemused by it but we were but we made great friends with ray and literally within two weeks it was number one and i remember that he sent to me and brian two gold albums very quickly for us to put our first gold albums on the wall just for players on it which was ever so sweet of him that was because, really nice. yeah. so when did you first yeah. get the full like the final version and when did you get a sense that it was more than just this yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, it suddenly it was on MTV, you know, and uh, Brian and I were always watching MTV and we went like, that's us. We played that. Didn't you play that? Is that, uh, is that right? Is that? And it, suddenly it, it went through the roof. I mean, it was so fast I mean, and the film exploded. Ended up saying America must be such a fantastic place because this happened on a whim. And look at it, you know, what Ray's a genius because he knew what he was doing and he knew what we could do. And he, he said to us after, uh, uh, he said, I really trusted these two lads. I could tell that they were going to put their hearts into it and I needed that kind of colour. And we didn't feel like we'd contributed much at all. You know, I was wiggling away there and adding soft cell notes and string lines <laughs> and little things, you know. And he, in fact, there's one of the funny stories that scared me shitless. He, about after doing that, he put me forward as a keyboard player for Teddy Pendergrass. And I had to prepare keyboards with a Jupiter 8 for a Teddy Pendergrass song. And I said to Ray, I'm not a keyboard player, Ray. I do these things, so I make demos. He goes, no, your ideas are great. You're going to go and do, I've written a song for Teddy Pendergrass and I want you to go and play on. I think it's called Hot Love. But Ray, Ray believed in my, con uh, in our, in our way. You know, he just, he liked our concepts. And actually when he, when I worked with him about three months ago, he, we were talking about the track, you know, and he invited, he showed me to his wife and he said, Martin and Brian, they meant, they made, they did so much good work for that song in such a quick time. We were in there for about four hours doing that. And he had to get the track to the film people that night. So by the time we left, when we left, he went in and sang it and put it together. And to be honest with you, we were disappointed when we did that track because we didn't think it was anything. You know, it's a, it's a, he sings it and the way he arranges it, he's, in, he's a genius. He's very clever at that film. And of course, um, we're, we're sat at home watching MTV and, and there it was, you know, him, him in the video. And we're going, that's your guitar, Brian. That's your Casio page. That's your keyboard line. And it's number one. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah. But now, if I, if you, every Halloween, that becomes the the record. It's huge. I mean, he, you know, you, I went to when I went to Ray Parker's house. You hit his doorbell, and, and it goes, "Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters?" His doorbell. <laughs> of course, it does. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And and his phone. When his phone rings, it goes, "Ghostbusters here." I mean, he, that record did everything for him. You know, he's uh, he, that record just never stopped. It's it's massive. It's just a massive record, you know. And it was a we were in the studio for three hours and he told me that he did it over two days. So Ray was a very open hearted man. He took a chance on us. He took a chance on us. OK, so do you remember the first time Hello. you saw the film? Yeah, we went to the premiere, actually. They, they, they allowed us to go to the premiere in, uh, in Hollywood. And um, we sat there. Ray was in there and a lot of people from the film company. And we thoroughly enjoyed it but because we knew that it had all the ingredients it was an 80s film and you thought about the blues brothers and and the way there was this thing in the air for that film you could just tell that film had all the ingredients to to be a big one ray's never had a bigger song in his whole career and he's written a lot of hits i wonder how how often over the years in the last 37 years have you pointed out to people when you've heard it in public i did that bit or do you just never because <laughs> i would if i did the keyboard part but, you know, even Brian, you know, it, that's not the way we, he would have done his guitar sound. It's, a, it's not as we weren't proud of our sounds. You know, we were we were we wanted to work harder on what we do. This was very Ray's a very instant kind of man. So when I listen to it, I, I think like it's really even Ray said to me three months ago, he said, I don't know how we got that. I don't know how it, we couldn't do anything wrong. Everything we did. He said, from me starting the drum machine up and working for those for two days on it and us coming in at that time, it wasn't planned. We were going to play on it. We, we arrived as people to just to meet him. He, he always believes that 
it was meant to be. We could not muck it up. Everything we did seemed to fit. But I, I never saw myself as a keyboard player, Mark. You know, I, I saw myself as an all-rounder. And I just had this little teeny 101 Casio keyboard, which is a, 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 the cheapest keyboard you can buy. And it's my, you know, we, I didn't see myself. But that's what I wrote on for fun. And there it was. It's all I had. And uh, I suppose you make the best of that. But we had an, an American engineer that we were pushing, saying, make this sound better, make this sound better, because we were perfectionists. And we thought when we left on Ghostbusters that we, it was a bit trite, that we hadn't done much. We'd done, we'd done little bits, but we didn't know where it was going. Brian and I were very focused into per- perfection, and we didn't think we'd got enough time in there. You know, of course, Ray comes in. And we go, well, we'd like to make this better, right? He goes, no, it's great. It's terrific the way it is. It's done. And we're like, okay, okay. He said to me, this is an interesting story. He said at his house three months ago, he said, I don't get many royalty checks for playing on it, but you guys do. <laughs> we, we still get royalty checks for, as musicians on that. On that. And we weren't even rare, part of the musicians. Playing a part, it's very rare, isn't it? So Yeah, and we, were, we, were, we weren't even part of the musicians' union in LA. We, we just landed. And we were just doing it because we were there. And we had an engineer who didn't really want us to be there. So it was all really quite strange. Can I ask you a question you won't answer? So how much you, how much money have you made from Ghostbusters from playing that keyboard? I'm not going to answer that. Give me a book. No, I'm not. Is, no, is it enough I mean, to... We aren't, we aren't the songwriter. Uh, Ray Parker lives... That's what makes it interesting. That you actually get royalties when you're not the songwriter. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's used for adverts. It's used on Coke adverts and things. Yeah. So we, get, we will get something like, I think, I don't know what Brian, Brian probably gets the same as me, but every now and then we'll see, you know, $130 comes in for a performance of it on a Coke ad, then another $130 will arrive or maybe that's, 400 that's, that's here cool. and there. That's really cool. That's like, it still pays after all those Yeah, years. you know, um, we get little bits, you know, $130 and we go, and Ray goes, I should be getting that as well. And he said, I don't get it. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, you know, that as a songwriter, can you imagine writing Ghostbusters? It's a fun oh, thing, you know. Come on, and I mean, he's, he's the sole writer. He's the sole performer. Yeah. It's on his label. Um, it's done at his studio. He's the producer. Ridiculous, you know. We feel, me and Brian, we love Ray. We had some photos recently taken with him and he loves us. It was just a wonderful thing. He's one of the most warm men you could ever be with and for some reason he treats us like gods he, he says there they are the two guys that helped me make those busters and we're like we didn't even know what we were doing you know and he really warms to us you know and he he's he's so sweet that man is and he's a genius he's just played on my new album some guitar playing he's an amazing guitar player i mean he played on superstition you know with stevie wonder it's oh did he really he's a, knew that he, oh yeah he was all through that all through the talking book record and mind uh uh, my music in my mind. He was raised. He, he was Stevie's guitarist, and he was on all the um, most of the big soul records around that period. He was the session man. He was Boss Gag's session player for Middleman. He he's played with Toto. Now he's a phenomenal guitarist, but he never let let on with that. Even when we were doing Ghostbusters, he said, "I'm going to leave you alone." And he said, "I never leave people alone on my records, but I trust you guys instantly. I can just tell you're going to do a good job." So. I don't think he was taking Ghostbusters tremendously serious. He wanted to do a good job, but I don't think he also thought it was going to be that big. Yeah. Uh, and he said oh, he was pushed against time. He had to get something done real quick, you know. So it was all a bit magical. And even I have to say, though, Mark, when I want to knock the song and say, oh, you know, it could have been better. When it pumps out of the speakers, there's something right about it. It's it's mixed great and it's got such a power about it. And as you say, if we had to pick a song from the 80s, to sum up the 80s, we probably would have found, found Ghostbusters somewhere in, in the top 10, you know? Absolutely. And I, I don't know how you could improve it. I don't know. I honestly don't know how you could make it any better. Uh, just- yeah, well, my car outside, I just have stickers all over it saying I played keyboards on Ghostbusters. <laughs> That's what you should have. I do, you know. And I, I would hope good. so. Definitely. <laughs> so it's number one in the US. It's number two in the UK. It was the ninth best selling, selling single of that year in the UK and the US. And yeah, 2020, yeah. the 99th best-selling single in the UK, which is quite impressive. Well, I didn't get to number well, one. Yeah, I think I think when Ray told me that he said I said uh, he, he hadn't been to England much, and he said I you know I need to go there because Ghostbusters has been such a success there. I know in in Japan where he often goes, it's like you know he he, he is Mr. Ghostbuster in Japan. I mean, he gets off the plane and they think he is Ghostbusters. You know, I mean, you can't write a more successful all-round song 
for history, really, because every time we come around to Halloween, and I think there's a new Ghostbusters it's movie just coming out now. It'll get, it'll get revisited again, won't it? Absolutely. It never stops, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it was a magical little thing. It taught me something also, Mark, is that uh, you have to go from your instinct. I mean, this all happened very fast. Sometimes when you overthink things in the studio, uh, this, as Ray said in all his interviews, he says, you know, this we couldn't get this wrong. It seems that every time we did something or plugged in or sat, it was going to be it was going to mean something. We couldn't have been luckier that after two weeks in L.A., not really knowing what we were doing, we'd been with a, a maestro, Ray Parker, and he trusted us and saw us as even possibly writing songs for his band radio. So I don't think I reiterated this enough. He was open to us. He he let he trusted us. And I don't think that's easy for people to do. He he said, do your thing. You know, that that it meant a lot to me because it taught me in the studio that when you're producing people, you should let them do their thing and then guide them. Coming from London, it's all very tight. Get in there, do it. You're there for two all night, come out. And uh, in L.A., it was like, you know, hey, I'm going for lunch. Fill, fill my track up, <laughs> make it a hit. And uh, that to us was also quite revolutionary that, that it was so free going. He didn't come into the studio after we'd done our parts and say, uh, I'm not sure of that. Do that bit again. He just trusted us. And it was all about feel. That's a big thing for uh, American musicians is does it feel right? And uh, Ray is, is a king of that. So I'd like to know your perspective on the I Want a New Drug um, lawsuit, because for anybody who doesn't know, I think yeah. the director used that as a temp track in the, in the uh, film and then told Ray to write something similar and he used that yeah. as rhythm. Um, was that was talked about at the time? Do you have a perspective on it now? Yeah, it, it, it didn't mean a thing to me because we were in his office and he played us, you know, as I said, owner of a lonely heart, something else. I think he played a bit of I Want a New Drug and he said, I'm trying to get something that has this kind of quality. As you say, we didn't even know there was a temp track like that. We didn't really, we didn't go, oh, that sounds like we're playing on I Want a New Drug. We didn't think of it that way. I thought of it a bit like pop music by M. You know that song? Yeah, yeah. And I, that's the same group. It's the same thing. It's been done many times. You know, you can listen to Spirit in the Sky. It's a, it's a chord sequence and a feel that many people have used. I didn't even know there was a lawsuit until right after it all. I didn't know much about that. I know that Ray was trying to get a feel. And I didn't even know that uh, Love is a Drug was a... Um, one on your drug was a temp track. I, you've, you, I didn't know that till much later. And um, Ray told me that it was all settled and everything and out of court or whatever. And I didn't really think too much of it because I realised that that formula, that as a musician, that feel, you could you could say that's that Huey Lewis stole something from M, you know, pop music. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, you, you, yeah. yeah absolutely, mate. You can go around in circles, you know. And after I wrote my hits, These Dreams, I heard of many songs that lent on the chord progressions of These Dreams and had the same nature. In a way, you take it as a compliment, you know, you take it, because I can hear the chord sequence being like M and I want a new drug, but the melody's nothing like it. That's the you thing, know? if you played both songs on the acoustic guitar, they'd be completely different. I want a new drug, one won't make me sick. My car make me feel three feet thick. I want a new job, one that won't hurt my head, one that won't make my mouth too dry, make my eyes too red. One that won't make me nervous, one that what to do, one that makes me feel like I feel when I'm with
just the yeah. rhythm. And can you read? And how many songs rhythm? have this? Absolutely, Mark. And how many songs have the same chords, the same groove? It's about melody. That's where you. That's where yeah, you change. Where yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a shame that Ray had to go through it. And I, but he's, you know, he, he makes light of it because it was all all settled, um, and he doesn't talk about it. I think the thing was nobody talks about it, but. You know, I, I always look upon that because I've been writing for such a long time is that if the melody was the same and they were taking lyrics that were the same, you'd all be a bit worried. But it's not. It's taking a, a well-worn, loved chord sequence and feel and groove as and we could look back to before even M and pop music. You know, it's it's been it's a formula we could find way back. It's when the melodies are copied. And I don't hear, who are you going to go? Ghostbusters sounding anything like I want a new drug, you know? Yeah, exactly. When was the last time you saw Ghostbusters? Oh, I think you know they, they put it on TV a lot here. So every now and then, you know, I've you turn the TV on and there's that film. I think there were some, you know, follow-ups made which weren't as good. But that classic film, it still gets wheeled out. It's looked it's looked upon, I think, as you say, with with 80s. It's looked upon as an 80s thing. Uh, it's a classic of the 80s with all its smolts, all its cheapness, all its. Um, throwaway moments. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. All its gimmickry. It's an 80s thing. You know, it's a it's a wonderful thing. As you say, the 80s has its thing. And so when you when it goes on to TV, I think people warm to it. Because the same way you might look at a film from an era that's just gone to the wind, uh, gone with the wind, you, you, you get a sense that that happened then. It was very special then. It lifted people's spirits. It made them happy. And it's a happy record. And, we, you know, I write pretty deep stuff now and then. And, and so I take my hat off to any song that can uh, lift people's spirits. And, you, you know, Ray Ray's very clever with how he sings. You know, he's not a high singer. He's not a singer that we all look, look to and go like, oh, you know, that's one of the greatest singers. But he's got a sound. He knows his range. He's very clever, tremendous arrangement sense. He's a very, very, very astute uh, record producer and songwriter. Yeah, and so uh, everything was right about that. I mean, think about it. When you when you say the words Ghostbusters, you know that song. Uh, I have to say, when you say We Built the City, we know that song. It's very rare when you find titles that bring everything to you in one second. The whole song comes to you. You get it with the Beatles, Let It Be, Hey Jude. Yeah, they're rare. When you just say Ghostbusters, you go, got it. You say, we built the city, got it. It's rare. And uh, we it happened. Spontaneity was the key. And we were all positive young lads. And I think that the nature of the moment was right. We couldn't do it again. You know what I mean? It's happened at that time. Yeah. We, were, we were creatures of the 80s. We had our keyboard, our guitar. We were living through Frankie Goes to Hollywood and we're living through Owner of a Lonely Heart. And there we were with Ray Parker, who we were a great fan of. It was meant to be. And uh, one of those things in life, I suppose, Again, going back to football again, there'll be players that say we, they, they scored a goal in a cup final and they're going to say that happened because it happened then, then. It was meant to happen then. It can't happen again. That's how we felt about the 80s with us. It was like we knew we were in, involved in something. That era that I, all my stuff happened in the 80s, uh, it could not have not happened. We were on form. And Ray knew it. He could tell with the two, two of us we were, we were on form. We were like two guys that were up for it. And he could sense it. And we weren't idiots. We knew what we were dealing with. He just left us with it. And we did our little bits. We had no, maybe if we'd known it was a film song and it had to be about ghosts, we'd have, <laughs> we might have played different things, but we didn't. We just did it a little bit without knowing and just from instinct. And maybe that shines through on a track because sometimes a spirit happens. You hear it on tracks. When the tracks have spirit and they just have an, a, a power to them because they're not overthought. And I think Ghostbusters is a great example of that. Absolutely. So thank you for answering my next question, which is what your feelings are about the song now. So you basically just answered it. So thank you. So we'll end with this with a, a quick fire round, a few questions on Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. What's the weirdest place you've ever heard the song? The weirdest place? <laughs> um, I, it's probably not the weirdest place, but I think it was in the haunted house in Disneyland. Yeah, I think it was being played in there and it just seemed that was like weird because I didn't it suddenly we're, we were just on this little tram going through a haunted house and suddenly it came on. I went, that's me. You did say it good. You didn't notice someone to say that's me. That is. That's good. Oh, I did. I stood up in the car and I pointed it. Like, that's I, would so. I would. I would definitely. I'm joking. I would. Do I know that. you would, Mark. I know. I would do that, that. Why wouldn't you? 
You're cheap. You'll just do anything. You will. You're the Ghostbusters guy. You got to. You got to. <laughs> they, you know what they said? They said, "Sit down. You're not Ray Parker." Yeah, exactly. No, you're not black. It's not you. It's not you. Uh, what's the best other version you've heard of it? Is there another version of Ghostbusters by somebody else you've heard? You thought, oh, it's quite good, actually. No, I've never heard another version of it. I've heard thousands of remixes of it, but I've never heard any other artists do Ghostbusters, I'd say that. I don't know. Okay, what's the worst remix you've heard of it, then? Probably the one you were just trying to play me on the bloody phone. I couldn't hear any <laughs> rhythm or anything. I could just hear parts. But I thought, where's the bloody drums? That didn't sound too hot. I would me. isolate the synthesizers so you could point out what your bits were. I was trying to help. Yeah, I know you're trying to help, Matt, but that's probably the worst, worst version of Ghostbusters I've oh. ever heard. I, Good try, effort. Try and help somebody. Right. When was the last time you heard the song? I guess very recently at Halloween, I assume. Yeah, Halloween. I was on TV. Uh, uh, there were uh, it, it, newscasters, you know, get ready for Halloween and all this. And, and then in the background, Ghostbusters is always playing. So it's on, on cable news in America. And is there anything you would change about it? <laughs> um, absolutely not. No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. I, I get it, but... When I hear it now, I respect it more than I did when I did it. And even now, I listen to how Ray's clever vocals are, and I'm, I'm knocked out more with how clever, clever Ray was with how to do that. Who are you going to call? That's just such a clever, clever phrasing of a lyric. So, now I, I appreciate now more than anything Ray's vocal approach on that song. Excellent answer. And finally, three words to describe how you feel about the song. Ever so proud, proud. Proud to be involved in something that is gives so much joy to people and is brings smiles to people's face. I, I really get a buzz from that because uh, that's not easy to do. And I'm, I think that uh, I'm a rather pessimistic person in life. And, and yet with Ghostbusters, I see people's faces light up. And I'm very proud that when I did it with Ray, we were all in that in that spirit of making something bright, something bright and something um, elevating and fun, fun. This is the end of the interview. Thank you very much. Uh, that's beautifully put by Martin, talking about creating something fun and bringing joy. Uh, that expression of joy, the sharing of joy, sums up both Wild Love the song and Wild Love the 80s still. Everything now seems so knowing, so performative, so of itself. Nothing feels spontaneous and purely joyful unless it's designed to fit some kind of expression of joy algorithm or <clears throat> spontaneity demographic. I think the 80s might be the last decade of unknowingness before irony hit in the 90s. That's why I love it so. Oh, you're right. And when you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. So, anyway, thanks to Martin for that interview. Also, huge thanks to Diane who helped set up the interview. Uh, you can contact Martin on facebook.com forward slash Martin Page Music. He's got a website, martinpage.com. He's on Twitter. And he's got a, he's got a good podcast, actually. Um, Radio Owl's Nest. Owl. Woo! Woo! Owl. Is that, is that what an owl does? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good podcast. He, he plays a lot of um, demos and alternate versions of songs that he's written. He tells some good stories. So that's definitely worth checking out. The other thing I took from the interview was... While I do have some sympathies with Huey Lewis, uh, I think Ray Parker Jr. really knocked it out of the park with this record. And at the end of the episode, this episode, right at the end, you'll, you'll hear a snippet of the original Ghostbusters song that was commissioned that wasn't used. It was used during a pre-release promo. And it, that gives you an idea of why Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters is such a great song. Just listen to what it could have been. Oh, Ghostbusters was, was so huge to me as a kid. The film, the song, the novelization, the soundtrack. I mean, the score, I've been listening to the score quite a bit. The score is an amazing score, actually. It's one of the most underrated scores of the 80s. Jerry Goldsmith's music is fantastic. I mean, the soundtrack's great. And I remember buying the single. <laughs> I remember... <laughs> and I remember watching Top of the Pops and having a choice between Ghostbusters or I said the UK is not going to mean anything but I was choosing Ghostbusters or Atmosphere by Russ Abbott uh, who's like a, a British comedian would you yeah. 
And um, I think I made the right decision. You have chosen wisely. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to play out with a mashup of uh, Ghostbusters and I want a new drug, but I might just keep this guy actually. This is, yeah, let's just um, let's go with atmosphere. Or oh, if only he'd covered the Joy Division version. Would that be great? Russ Abbott does Joy Division. I would have bought that, definitely. I would have bought that and Ghostbusters, I think. I may be the first person ever to download Atmosphere by Russ Abbott. So, until next time, enjoy. What an atmosphere. I love a party with a happy atmosphere. Me and Ray. That's Ray. That's me. That's the string line going down at the end of the chord. So the bit underneath, that's you, is it? Yeah. It's a great version, isn't it, Marty? Yeah, that sounds good. That's a good track. Yeah. <laughs> and that's me with the high synthesizer, all the all yeah. the, the height going up high. And that's us screaming with his girlfriend. 
Whatever. Yeah, and if you if it, the other versions that go on the end there, the low bass note and all the creepy creepy sounds, that yeah, would that's be the bit in the film with Dan Aykroyd being given like being orally serviced by a ghost, isn't it? That's right. Well, I think it was Sigourney Weaver being approached. The ghost hovers over a bed on top of her. But also on the version you sent me for, uh, last time, yes. the track that uh, that has the a fade with the, all my effects on as well on the end. The kind of, kind of dreamy kind of, ooh, that kind of that's stuff. it that's me going oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah doing, a, okay. doing a kind of hampshire yodel there yeah now you might be seeing some black and white footage and of course you know this is a work print and uh we're going to try to show you little bits of the film and uh get you excited we certainly are and, and if that doesn't work we have 117 girls who are looking for scholarships to nursing school. They'll be circulating through your rooms over the next day or so. And we thank you and we hope you enjoy the bit of the film that we've cut together for your viewing pleasure today. We know that Columbia is charging a lot of money for this. We heard this. It was our idea. But there are some perks. You'll be able to have the successful comedy, and you'll be able to meet someone special back in your room in just a few minutes, as soon as this meeting's over. That's right. All taken care of by the good people over at Columbia Pictures, subsidiary of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola Bottling Company. Ghostbusters. The brave, the best, the only Ghostbusters. But this makes me feel good. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. 